0: Hey, welcome back to the motocross training podcast, Joel Youngkins here, and today we are going to talk about the high-low model, what it is, and what it can do for you. Um, So hopefully caught the last episode, Um, we did the Q&A episode, that was really cool, got a lot of great feedback from that one. Um, So I appreciate you guys for listening, appreciate appreciate you for tuning in today. Uh, You should be excited for today, because I'm going to share with you a model that A lot of coaches use, but a lot of like, this is not popular in the general public. This is not a trendy model by all means. Um, you know, motocross is a very trendy sport in my opinion, when it comes to preparation and, you know, I don't think a lot of people really actually know about this because it's like, it's a very simple model. It's going to be, you know, after I describe it, it's going to be like, Oh yeah, it's kind of makes sense. Um, least I think you're going to feel that way, but, um, It's kind of a model that just helps you organize the week. It's not a training program. It's not a, you know, a eight week program or anything like that. This is literally just a model, a way for you to set up your preparation for the week. It's just a way to organize some things that we'll get into here. And this model we call the high low model. um, I didn't invent this. The coach, you know, back in the uh, 80s. He, uh, he was a sprinting coach. He actually kind of came up with his model and was teaching it to other coaches, you know, like throughout the 90s before he passed away. Um, but his work was, you know, I've dug a lot, you know, really deeply into. And I believe like a lot of my philosophy as a coach stems from his model or just stems from his coaching and his philosophy. And it's really nice because it's, you take principles and methods you learn from certain things and you can kind of apply them to a lot of different sports and and preparation all across the board. Um, but what this model is going to do with this organization, how it's going to help you organize, it's going to help you to be able to train and allow for proper recovery times. So like when you actually want to train hard, you'll actually be able to train hard. When you actually want to just need a recovery day, you're going to have a recovery day plan. And I'm going to teach you kind of how to set that up a little later. But before we really get more into like the background and, and everything else about the high-low model, I kind of want to use a segue here about, you know, a lot of like athletes, especially racers, they get really concerned with, you know, the idea of overtraining and, you know, trying to figure out how hard they can train without overdoing it. And so a lot of them use like, you know, resting heart rates and, and things like that. And a lot of, you know, racers have, um, you know, heart rate monitors that they're wearing daily and tracking all that, um, HRV is finally becoming kind of popular in the moto world. Um, it's been around for a long time, I think. It was invented by like uh, I think the Russian um, space station or um, their space uh, man, we're totally drawing a blank what it'd be called, but um, the Russian astronauts were, were using this back in the 50s and it basically is a device you hook up to yourself that kind of basically tells you your readiness and how recovered you are for any given day and this machine was really expensive i think it was like 20 or 30 grand you know only like pro athletes had access to this or like nfl sports teams some of them were using it but honestly hrv was really popular for many years like in europe so um throughout europe and russia so if you're if you're in that part of the world you're probably a little more familiar with it than you know people over Here in the United States, prior it's kind of like a new thing to them. And it's a new thing because, you know, in the last 10 years, there's been a handful of devices that have come out to measure your HRV. And so HRV is basically heart rate variability. And what this is is basically it's taking an algorithm of the way your heart is beating for the day. And it spits out a score and it tells you, you know, if you're recovered, how, you know, how well recovered are you and how stressed are you? And it kind of gives you the score to kind of help you figure out what you should do to, for the day. So same thing with like resting heart rates. If your resting heart rate's a little high, it means your body's under some stress and you should probably take it easier. And a lot of people use this data. They wake up and they see what their scores are, whether it's heart resting heart rate or they'll use HRV. They kind of make a decision based off of that. Um, so I've used HRV you know, devices in the past year, I've been, you know, I'm, I'm a believer in HRV, but I also don't think it's the end all be all. It's just like a piece of data that you have to collect. And I think that's kind of where it is. I don't think it's like the gospel of figuring out your recovery. Um, I've used at least like three different devices. There's like five different companies that are doing it right off the top of my head that you basically do it through like an app through your phone. Uh, some of them you have to pay for or wear heart rate straps or finger sensors. Uh, they can be useful, but again, you have to understand what's going on in your training and how to interpret that data. If not, you can actually like and like have improper use from this. you know, just like if your resting heart rate is high, like due to like just having a bad dream and you wake up and your heart rate's high because of anxiety levels where you're sleeping. And you're like, oh, heart rate says high. I thought I'd be ready to go today. and I feel great, but, you know, because I'm just going off of my heart rate, I should take an easy day. Well, you know, where you just kind of could have went hard or could have, like, done a lot of hard work if you would have just truly went off of that heart rate number. Uh, You know, you pretty much missed out on a day of good work that you could have done. Same thing with HRV. Sometimes, like, your HRV scores, there's, like, could be some lag time um, because they have you do, like, first thing in the morning and you know if it spits out a a number that really isn't accurate to how you feel for that moment it could totally mislead your whole day of training of actually how you are Uh, especially if you trained like late at night and you went to bed then woke up and then took a score like your number could be way off from reality and then actually the next day you go to take it and then it kind of like catches back up but uh, i'm not saying they're bad things at all but you have to you you don't want to let just um, one piece of data kind of predict everything else in your program. You want to take a hold of the variables you want to plan for it and then use these tools. If you even want to use them uh, to your advantage and not just let it just dictate your whole entire schedule. Um, I just wanted to touch on that because I know that's a thing. Um, HRV is becoming more of a thing in racing. Um, you know, moto finally catching up to that. De- um, you know, to that resource. And, um, but like it's been around for a really long time. So, uh, you know, I just wanted to touch on that, what this model is going to do though. And this is why like, I don't really care too much about the resting heart rate or HRV. Like if, I, if we have the data, cool. I, I acknowledge it and go from there. But, um, when you follow this model, the high, low model, this, pretty much is going to get you in the ballpark about 90% of the time. And then that last 10% you can use from testing measures um, and just kind of like cues based off of like watching somebody in a warm-up how they feel, how their, how their actual performance is going. You can kind of like gauge like that stuff later. And, you know, that's kind of more of like the art of coaching is kind of like looking beyond just the numbers. Uh, But then like, you know, you can use, still use the numbers to help make a decision. You're basically, it'll just it's more of a tool to help eliminate, um, you know, biases and, or just to kind of confirm your initial planning. So, you know, like if you wake up one day and you're like, Hey, I should probably be pretty stressed out because I did a bunch of motos yesterday. And then the HRV score says that you are, it's just a way to kind of help confirm your mind and kind of help give you um that added bit of uh, reassurance. So let's move on. Let's talk about the actual high-low model, the background of it, and kind of um, why people like it. Um, so the, high, the high-low model, this was first made popular by Canadian sprinters coach uh, Charlie Francis. He coached Ben Johnson, who won the 1988 100-meter Olympics by running a 9.79 time. Uh, he left theory is that he left a lot on the table that day because he was going to plan on keep to continually break his record. Uh, today, Usain Bolt, he ran his top speed, or top 100 time, who's, which is the fastest, is the 9.58. Uh, I believe that's the fastest. I don't keep up, like, day-to-day with the whole track and field world. But as far as I'm concerned, I think the 9.58 is his fastest time up to date. And... So just goes to show you that Ben Johnson was an elite athlete. He, um, you know, what they were doing. You know, you can kind of like, just goes to show, like, you know, a high level athlete, one of the highest levels, was using this model, and you know, turned out some really impressive times. Um, the black eye, kind of where, like, why Charlie Francis, I don't think got his respect he ever really deserved, was because at that same. 1998 Olympics that 9.79 time was taken away because Ben Johnson tested positive for an anabolic steroid. Uh, there's kind of this whole other scandal behind it kind of going on all these different theories and blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to get into that. Um, but it's kind of like, it's very similar to the whole Lance Armstrong thing where it's like you take one gold medalist, um, gold medalist who tested positive and then you give it to the next person who, you know, was probably also taking stuff and, you know, you kind of just pass it along. So like the guy who actually got first and tested positive or, you know, shows that they were using steroids, um, you know, they kind of just hand it off to the second place guy who probably was using steroids as well. Like, I mean, let's be honest. I'm not, I'm not going to get much into that, but it's just, that's the reality of the situation. Uh, if you don't believe that, then you're kind of kind of naive to pro sports and Olympic sports. You know, it's, it's nothing new, but that's just kind of the reality of why you don't hear as much about Charlie Francis or Ben Johnson as you would, you know, in a Usain Bolt or maybe some other more popular coaches. But they're both basically banned from the Olympics after this. Charlie, I don't think he could coach anybody in the Olympics. So he basically went off to start doing his own coaching and coaching other coaches on what his uh, philosophy was, which the high low model was one of his biggest, uh, things that he kind of spread on to other coaches like myself. So a lot of different sport coaches have adopted this model, whether they're, you know, other physical prep coaches like myself, whether they're sport coaches. Um, again, I think a lot of soccer and rugby programs around the world use this model as well. And, uh, yeah, so it's, it's like a model. It's not really like a concrete thing. It's just like a flexible model that you can kind of incorporate at any time of the year for any situation. And I use this model as much as I can in mind with my programming and preparation. Um, it doesn't always come out exactly perfect, like the high low model, but it's on the forefront of my mind that I don't try to stack to, I had like, I basically try to y- incorporate, the model as best as I can with what I'm doing. Uh, the more access I have to my athletes, the more we can use it. But sometimes you just got to get sessions in when you can. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit later here as well, but kind of how you really want to think about this model and like how it works is you want to set your training days up to so that you never have too high intensity days, which will be like your hardest stress days. You never want to have those back to back. Um, at least the goal isn't to, again, there's some situations where Tuesday and Wednesday are just going to be hard work. And that's the only two days you can get, get in understandable that happens. But if you have a week to plan out and you can kind of stretch that week out, follow the high low, the high low model, um, your recovery will thank me and your performance will thank me later. Um, So you never want to have really two hard days back to back. So this gives your CNS, your central nervous system, time to actually recover and lets your body recover from training. So, you know, if you were to go race, you know, everybody kind of knows that, hey, if you race on Sunday, Monday, you're not going to be at 100%. Well, the same things happen during the week as you're training hard as well. And this is just a way to organize all the different stressors. So that you're actually managing the stress and manipulating it properly, so that you're always able to get good work in while keeping things organized and never really just suffering performance. Um, so while like your nervous system's recovering, so say you know Tuesday is a hard day; it's a high intensity day. Wednesday, you can follow it up with a low intensity day. So while you're recovering from the hard stuff you just did, there's all this other different type of work you can be doing and should be doing. You could do it on the whole another day because you don't really need uh, your nervous system to be running optimally for you to perform this lower intensity work. And I'll get into this here soon. What classifies high and low in you know, the world of motocross. But um, so, you know, like if you're a full-time racer you know, especially a, a elite pro racer, if you're listening to this, I would 100% put this, like, this would be the forefront of, you know, building your weekly training regimens. Um, hands down, I would do this. But um, this is basically, you're going to help front load your program so that you're making the most of your time. And also, you, you don't have to feel guilty for doing light days either. Like, so you know you're organizing, you know that light days and lighter work is necessary, but... You don't have to be like hey tuesday was hard wednesday i'm gonna go even harder so say you did like three 30-minute motos and wednesday you're like i'm gonna do four 30-minute motos but wednesday you just kind of you're not feeling it you don't feel as good as you did on tuesday you're dragging a little bit you're making some mistakes your riding's not as good and you know you don't have to feel guilty for just being like no i should just probably work on turns and starts today because i'm just not feeling like i can go pump out you know a bunch of 30-minute motos again today So this kind of helps eliminate like that guiltiness of like, you know, of expectations, you know, there's, if you hear something like, Hey, if you say you're going to do it, you better do it. If not, you're never going to be a champion. Well, this, I don't want to say gives you an out or makes it like gives you an excuse to train not as hard, but it's actually going to allow you to train even harder because you're manipulating your training based on your actual stress levels. So, Let's kind of identify here like what is high activities, high intensity activities, and what is low intensity activities. So all high intensity activities, you're roughly going to need anywhere from 48 to 72 hours to recover from these things. So the first thing I have on here is an actual race. The race should be the highest intensity thing that you're doing unless you were just um, sandbagging really bad, but, uh, the race itself should be the most stressful thing of the week that you do. And that just kind of happens more or less off of just emotional stress, uh, plays into a part of this, but you know, a race may take up to 72 hours easily, depending on how hot, how hard the track was, or what kind of competition you're in, you know, if like, say you won the race, but you had a 22nd lead the whole time and you were just cruising you know, you may need 48 hours to recover, but same track, same race, but you're in a heated battle wall race. You may need up to 72 hours. So at least, you know, two to three days, may you know, is not out of the question to fully recover from a race. Other things that are high intensity sprint laps. So if you're knocking out sprint laps going, you know, uh, 95% or above, really it's 90% or above intensity on your sprint laps. Uh, We're going to classify that as a high activity. Um, Any motos, any long motos, um, that's going to be high intensity. In the gym, if you're doing any high intensity shock training, uh, I did the episode on plyometrics if you want to learn more about shock training. Uh, Anything high intensity with that, um, we'll label that as high as well. Heavy squats and deadlifting, um, if you're into heavy Olympic lifting, that would also be a high intensity activity as well. And then for your conditioning, any high intensity interval training uh, would be classified as a high activity as well. Um, that it will cause a bunch of metabolic stress. That will help. That will kind of. That will f- most likely fatigue your nervous system. Um, after these sessions, so what you want to do is think of like, hey, how many high stress things can I do all on one day? So, you know, if they're at the gym and then you're going to the track or vice versa and you do sprint laps, a couple motos, then later you go to the gym, probably a good idea for that day to knock out your heavy squats and deadlifts too, or, you know, do more of an aggressive, um, you know, conditioning session, things like that. You kind of want to lump everything on one day. So it's sort of like, Hey, I'm trashing the body today and let's just, trash it all together because today's my high day. So you just kind of lump everything in on one day as much as you can. And you do this by obviously being smart and programming it properly. Um, You know, so then you kind of go into this whole other world of programming, but you get the idea of like you put everything on one day so that that whole day you're, you're, you're going to be taking at least two days to recover um, in order to get back to where you can do sprint laps, motos, heavy squats, or deadlifts um, the next day or a couple days later. So in the meantime, so like say Tuesday, you had a high day and Wednesday, you could do low intensity activities. And these things take really about 24 hours to recover from. You don't really have to rely on your nervous system being optimal to get benefit from this type of work. So this could be things like technique work on your bike. So you practice turns, starts, um, you know, easier rock sessions or just anything that's not like super demanding on your bike. Uh, This would be a great day to do that. Uh, Maybe just testing out some parts or things like that. Um, You know, uh, it's kind of um, limitless as far as what what you can do as far as technique. And when it comes to your physical work, like your gym workouts, other things that would be low intensity would be really any kind of ab training, any low intensity shock training. So anything that's not like, um, you know, you're you're doing more rhythmic type, uh, plyometric shock training type things. Um, that one would be that would be considered low because it's not very stressful on your nervous system. Uh, I put bench pressing as low and. Majority of the time, I would say bench pressing is low unless you have a huge bench press like you're benching three plates or plus, like plus um, or even just two, or, you know, at least two plates or plus on each side. So we're looking, um, you know, like if your max isn't over 225, then it's going to be low intensity if it's 225, depending on your size or above. We can maybe have the discussion of it being a high-intensity, but 9 out of 10 times, and I'm not stereotyping uh, motor racers, off-road, motocross, quad, dirt bikes type guys, but majority of the time, if you're a serious racer, I'm going to assume your bench press isn't that impressive in the bench pressing world, so that's why I'm just placing it low. Um, All accessory work will be basically low. So this is like your bodybuilding style workouts, you know, your rows, your delts, hamstrings, glute work, this will all be low intensity. And then of course your low intensity aerobic work. So, you know, your light cycle days where you're just trying to circulate blood and to, um, just promote just oxidative, just adaptations. Um, this would be, you know, low intensity work. So you'd use lower heart rate zones. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Like, so what you want to do is so like, for example, Tuesday could be a high day. I mean, this is a, again an an example. Would be a high day. Um, Wednesday, you're gonna to want to do a low day. Thursday could maybe will be another high day because it's been 48 hours at least. And then Friday, you could do a low day, which would help prepare your body to help get it even recovered, just so it's more circulatory. Um, kind of having a different discussion here, but if you went high, low, high, low, that's, you know, Tuesday through Friday race on Sunday with Saturday being a day off or a day, just get ready or stretch. Um, you know, it could be a really productive week. If you could just pull that off, that's a lot of work you're cramming in while still managing your stress levels properly throughout the week. Um, and again, sleep, hydration, eating right. All of those things are going to play into your program. Um, All of the other principles have to be accounted for, but this is just a way to just organize your stress levels and help to manage it properly so that you can actually get a lot of work in. And just being on the proactive front of managing your stress levels so you don't, one, sacrifice Actual performance so that when you can go hard, you can go hard and get the most out of it with great te- with great quality of training instead of trying to go hard with bad quality of training, um, you know, is what you don't want to have. So hopefully I know this is kind of a lot. Hopefully you could take something away from this. Again, if you can't make the high low model not work because you only have a select amount of times and you got to kind of cram things in certain times of the week. I totally get it. Um, I run into them problems just as well, but if you can simulate something, at least recognize the high, low model and that, um, you know, you kind of identify this reality of your nervous system needing to recover from training. Um, I think it's just going to help make a lot more sense. Just building your own training models down the week or down training models for the week down the road for you. Uh, and that's really it um, you know let me know if you have any questions on this stuff I again it's it's very general it's very broad but it's a concept it's a model you you take from it and you apply it to your own to your own training and plan and uh, yeah in the meantime we'll be um, you know looking to do another episode here in the next week I appreciate you guys for listening to this stuff um, we've got a lot of views on this on this uh, podcast more than I thought we were gonna have. Originally, it's taking off pretty well. Um, So, if you have any questions in the meantime, you can always shoot me an email. It's joelyunkins at jytraining.com. I'm on Instagram and all that kind of stuff. Hit me up there. Um, And, yeah, that's about it. We'll uh, catch you next week in the next episode. Again, remember the high-low model. Um, Know about it. Use it. And, you know, train hard and train smart. But... Again, training smart is is also training hard. So you want to be able to train hard when you can and uh, make the most of your preparation. So until next time, catch you later.